As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. That on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for a discounted rate. The NBA finals have begun and the, the Denver Nuggets are looking pretty good. If you want some more on that, you should listen to Nerder She Wrote. Today, you know what? On Slam and Jam, we want to talk about the other teams. There's, there's a lot of other teams in the NBA and a lot of other fan bases that are interested in what's going on in them. And so... A team that's very interesting to Alex and I is the Boston Celtics and what's what's going on in Boston. Uh, it was it was not a great exit for the Celtics, and so first of all, Alex Spears is with me. Hello, Alex. Hi, Andrew. Hi, and then with us today to talk about said Boston Celtics is my guy Jared Weiss from the Athletic. Jared, what's up? Hi, Andrew. Hi. Uh, so let's, let's, <laughs> thank you guys for both greeting me so awkwardly. Yes. <laughs> uh, so when the Celtics were down 0-3 to Miami, there was a lot of national talk about whether Boston would fire head coach Joe Mazzula. Brad Stevens, good. he gave a press conference this week and shot down all those rumors agreeing that Mazzula was the best coach for the Celtics. Do you think the team would have handled things differently had Boston gotten swept or was Missoula's job always safe? Absolutely differently. Um, there mm. was definitely a perception that he was coaching for his job at that point, because mm. if you're the, well, I guess they weren't the one seed, the two seed and you're facing the eight seed and it doesn't matter if it's Miami, which is the fakest eight seed of all time. Uh, if you get swept in the conference finals after you guys made it to game six of the finals last year and your window is very specifically right now, that is potential grounds for review because they can't afford to wait for their coach to be ready. And they had one season of growth. There cannot be a second season. Next season, he's got to be able to hit the ground running with everything in place 
They obviously need to rebuild the staff a little bit around them, give them a top assistant that has NBA coaching experience, probably bring in a few more people as well to augment their current staff. They probably are going to have some people leaving. That's how it always goes. Uh, but like Missoula can't just get the floor wiped with him by Spo and then walk away from that you know, without any question. There was probably going to be a pretty serious debate going on in that front office about whether he can handle the job or if it just maybe was too soon for him. And then he had like the three best games of his career right after that. And I think showed exactly what he has and the potential that he has there. Game seven was a bad game in like every single regard from the players to the coaching, and all that stuff. But it started with Jason Tatum rolling his ankle on the first play of the game. And he yeah. was like, very hurt. He was playing on one foot the entire time. I know people have complained about him making excuses. Like I remember talking to people at halftime. They're like, like he can't move. Like there's nothing we could do about that. He's the fact that he played and didn't play terribly. Like he did a lot out there on a completely rolled ankle. Like was pretty impressive. So the Celtics got unbelievable. Like probably the most. That's like one of the most unlucky breaks I've ever seen in my life to have that whole comeback happen and then your best player who the entire team revolves around just completely sprains his ankle on the first play of game seven. I was going like to say insane. mere seconds after the game tip. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's and so now ridiculous. Tatum's out. Yeah. And a point that one of the coaches raised with me is you have to understand the difference between coming into a game knowing someone's hurt and then coming into the game with this game plan of Jason Tatum's going to run 500 pick and roll tonight and then yeah. sprains his ankle. Yeah. So your entire game plan is then all of a sudden wiped away right there in the middle of the game. So they were just in a horrible situation. Their system, which needs to really be revamped. I like I like I like Joe Missoula's principles and ideas. I think it's for not even for thing. It's just kind of the modern ideal that a lot of teams use. I think it's right. It's just that they need to layer it. It needs to they need to be on the same page more. He needs an entire offseason uh to prepare to roll it out. And so I think after seeing what happens at the end of that series, <clears throat> knowing all the staff issues that they had we can get into and then knowing that Missoula had two days basically to prepare for training camp in the season I think that they feel that or I don't think Brad Stevens very clearly said we feel that Joe is going to be so much better next year because the opportunity is going to be a much better situation hmm. are there any updates on like who potentially could be on his staff next year I know that like some of these guys might be taken to Houston but then are there any ideas of who could replace those guys so we should hold our horses on that um okay i know it was reported that they're that it's the reporting that i initially saw was like that it's kind of definitely happening and yeah. then i checked in on that and it's it, it is certainly in the possibility but it's way too early to consider that i don't think there's okay. been any there hasn't i don't i mean maybe in the last 48 hours or 24 hours that's changed obviously but right after the season ended there wasn't any sort of movement on that it was like a presumption that a lot of these guys that worked for Emeo Doko would want to go join Emeo Doko. But I think everyone has to understand they're on a championship team right now. Like this is a team that's, that was pissed off that they lost in game seven of the conference finals while Houston won like four games last year. I can't even remember. So they, obviously they're going to get better. They're clearly making moves to get better, but they, yeah. they're, they're on a, a really good team in a, for a very good organization with ownership that is very well known for, compensating and treating everybody well a gm that obviously is well, well known for all that kind of stuff houston's been a has been a a shit show for a while so mm -hmm. i you know it's like it's it's not just a cut and dry situation there so i wouldn't just bet on that but top assistant 
Steven Silas is the most obvious choice because he literally showed up at the facility. It was walking around. It was hanging out for a little while right after he got fired. So everyone presumed that. I think Mark Stein reported that it's expected to happen. Um, I haven't heard anything like that strong, but obviously that's clearly a possibility. Frank Vogel is another name that came up a lot. You know, Brad Stevens said they tried to get somebody on board at the beginning of the year. They also tried to get somebody on board when David Stoudemire left, who was really their top assistant. It was kind of mm-hmm. like that he was the NBA experience guy they had on board. And so Vogel, longtime good friend of Stevens, obviously championship experience. Uh, he seems like the perfect fit there, but I don't know why it didn't work out with him in the first go around. Hmm. So another story that was seemingly shut down by Brad Stevens was the idea that Boston would have interest in trading Jalen Brown. Stevens said, quote, I can say without a doubt we want Jalen to be here. He's a big part of us moving forward in our eyes. Should we interpret those quotes about Brown to mean that Boston is fully prepared to offer Jalen Brown a supermax contract this summer? Or we can interpret it as Brad Stevens establishing leverage to trade Jalen Brown for 5,000 picks. But Mm. (laughs) I I think... I think Supermax is more likely. I I, th- I think that Brad was trying to find a way because Brad had to start off by saying, I cannot answer that question. It is right, illegal. Right, right. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to keep Jalen Brown. Um, come on. We, like, we know the deal here. If they offer him anything less, it's a complete slap in the face, especially after the discount that he took on his first go around where he did not get a max contract and saw Tatum get the, sup- the like rookie Supermax right away. He needs to get paid. He needs to be shown that. And you can debate whether he's worth it or not, but like I think at this point it's either you're paying him the supermax or you're telling him feel free to leave because yeah. he's going to hard pursue a contract elsewhere at that point. There's a lot like most of the NBA is going to line up to get him. Like he's a right. he's a you know he was a top 10 scorer in the NBA. He's a good on-ball defender. He establishes tempo really well. He can't dribble with his left hand apparently, which is certainly an issue when you're a superstar. Uh he messes up on help defense all the time, which is a huge issue if you're a superstar. But like he does most of the stuff you need to have as your probably your second best player to win a championship. It seems like you know, the Celtics are kind of right at that door. So the Celtics are not they're not going to let him walk like that's that's crazy. You don't do that. If somebody comes in with a trade offer that you absolutely can't refuse, then obviously you got to consider it. They consider mm-hmm. trading him for Kevin Durant. Um, I think that actually was the right call not to trade him for Kevin Durant by the way things are going at this point. So, you know, I think I think Jalen's going to sign the Supermax and stay. Okay. Because the last time we had you on, uh, Logan Murdoch had just written an article for The Ringer about Jalen, in which Jalen was somewhat noncommittal about his future with the Celtics. Do you get the sense that that weirdness between him and the Celtics, which kind of went back to the KD trade rumors, has blown over? Probably not. I think that's always going to be there. Um, the, you know, the, the, the reality is everyone knows that Tatum is the favored son of this team because it's just because inherently he got that original supermax he's kind of in the face he's the guy at the top of the mvp conversation he's the person that has the ball in his hands at the end of games and i think that's really more about tatum's skill set and jalen's skill set than rather just preferring one versus the other like jason's a better on ball playmaker so he's going to get more of the glory generally but i so i think that's kind of part of it also, just Jalen, because of that, Jalen's always been the main name that comes up in trade talks. And so I think Jalen's yeah. always felt like this team is always shown more value in Tatum than they have in me. So they have to make up for it with the contract here. Um, I do think a lot of his a lot of the things he was saying publicly this year was to try to maintain the pressure on the team, especially in case he didn't get the Supermax, because now that he's gotten the Supermax, it's a kind of like a cut and dry situation. You don't 
you don't offer people less than the supermax unless you're intending for them to leave the way that like Charlotte did with Kemba Walker, who ended up leaving for Boston and then had a great season. Then his body fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, so Jalen's ability to dribble a basketball has been a topic of conversation for a while now, and it was highlighted again after he had eight turnovers in game seven. For the playoffs, Brown had 68 assists to 66 turnovers. For someone that has watched him over his career, has this always been an issue? And do you see any hope for improvement in that department? So that's what, what's weird about the playoffs is that he actually was a lot better not turning the ball over this year. Um, generally, his turnovers would come when he would try to go ISO into a trap and he would try to do like a quadruple through the legs, like a bunch of crazy moves that he either pulls off and he looks like Michael Jordan or he turns it over. It looks like Michael K. Gilchrist. So um, he, you know, when he got to the NBA, he couldn't dribble on the fast break, like literally dribbled it off of his foot every time he'd do a fast break. Now he's one of the best transition players in the NBA. So his, Mm -hmm. his growth over the years has been incredible. I don't know why it was so bad in the playoffs. He is, he clearly was dealing with the left wrist injury and he refused to acknowledge it. Everyone around him refused to acknowledge it, but everyone, you ask all the sources around their team, they're like, yeah, he hasn't said anything, but like clearly there's something going on there. And then you see all these turnovers he had where he would cross over to his left and it would just kind of like fly off of his left hand. It's like, that looks like somebody that's hurt. That just doesn't make sense. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the injury was a big part of that, but either way, his turnovers, fumbling the ball on really complex dribble moves has been a problem. Figuring out how to break through traps without turning it over has been a problem. Tatum's a lot better at that. It's one of Tatum's good skill sets. And then Jalen's always had a penchant for getting up in the air because he hangs in the air forever. He's got amazing hang time. And then he won't see the shot he wants, so we'll start panicking, looking for a pass, and then throw it away. So I think he got better at fixing those problems this year, but like he has to cut them down completely if he's going to be a truly great Supermax level player. So one of the big NBA stories right now is the new CBA, which makes things much more difficult for teams who go over the second apron, which will be around $179.5 million next season. The Celtics currently have about $160 million in guaranteed contracts heading into next season, which doesn't include money for Grant Williams or Peyton Pritchard. How aggressive do you expect Boston to be in staying under that second apron? And who are the most likely candidates to be moved if they want to give themselves more breathing room? They're going to be a double apron team next year. They like they have to be, right? I think you have to be if you want to win a championship. So it's really about the year after that. So, I mean, Grant Williams staying is a really interesting one. I mean, they're telling everyone around the league that they intend on keeping him. But sure, why wouldn't they? They're trying to scare teams off from making a large bid so they can sign him to a cheaper deal. If Grant Williams is able to get something similar to what he was offered before the season, which was like $13.5 million, maybe even get $15 million, then I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics decided not to match it. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if the – so the thing is, like, the front office clearly values Grant Williams more than Joe Mazzulla does because Joe Mazzulla didn't want to play Grant Williams that much. Yeah. And then Grant got out there and, like, most of the time was kind of vital to this team but also had some really bad games, and that's what you get with Grant. You know, it's he's, he's still an inconsistent player. But also part of that is that he wasn't getting consistent opportunity this year. And once he was no longer the starter and Rob Williams came back, he went from being, like, a clearly crucial locked-in member of this franchise to kind of falling off. So – I don't know what they're what how they really value Grant. It's like really it's really tricky to figure out at this point because of the way the season just went and because of a lot of the things he showed about why he's still so important in the playoffs. But 
if they have to let someone go, it's the easy the easiest way for them to let someone go is just to let Grant walk or to sign and trade Grant. Peyton Pritchard clearly wants out. They might trade Malcolm Brogdon or one of their other guards. I can't. There's no way Derek White's getting traded, right? He was too good. Marcus Smart's been the heart. So. Yeah, yeah he, he's, he's their, he was their third best player almost the entire season. So you can't mm-hmm. trade him. Um, Marcus Smart is like the heart and soul of the team. He's basically the captain of the team. Lots of ups and downs with him. Are they ever going to reach a point where they're like, we want to try something new? It's possible. But like Smart is is the he is the franchise almost. Um, and then then it comes down to Brogdon and like Brogdon. They brought him in as a luxury, and he was a luxury for most of this year, and he played a pretty important role. He There were some huge moments where he saved them in that playoff run, and then he got hurt, and they kind of could see, I feel like, they, they could survive with him being hurt. Like, they won a few games in a row where he was in, like, rough shape and just couldn't really shoot the ball in that Miami series. So, you know, it's possible they decide to trade Brogdon, and they feel like we don't have to have three great guards. We can keep Peyton Pritchard, play him more, and get by with that. But I would assume if they're going to do a big cost-cutting move, it probably comes after this upcoming season. Hmm. So, yeah. so your expectation is that they run it back next year without like a, a major roster shakeup. I think they got to they have to do one more player movement in there. So. Mm-hmm. That, that does make it possible that somebody like Brogdon can get moved. Al Horford is someone that generally would make sense to try to refresh somebody with, but they just signed him to an extension, and he's another player that just, like, there are times where the season would have ended immediately and Al Horford saved them, so that's how it tends to go. But they got to they gotta figure out some sort of consistency with their bigs because Rob Williams is very inconsistent, and part of that is that they don't consistently find a role for him, and so they kind of have to figure that out. And then, you know, Horford was an elite shooter until he said he was an elite shooter in the playoffs, and then all of a sudden fell off the face <laughs> of the earth. So, uh, so like, they, they got so much shooting and consistency, and maybe they are just like, you know, they have so many guys that can shoot. But they don't have really anyone that you're like, that guy is clearly an elite shooter. And so maybe that's something that they go for. And then with uh, Gallo, I, I mean, I don't know how good he's going to be when he comes back. But the ex- expectation is that he's going to be healthy going into next season. Yeah, there was there was a lot of um, there's a lot of rumblings that he could have returned for the finals potentially. Ooh. I was I was watching him do like all of his work and practice. And I'm like, he's running two miles per hour. But is that different? than how we ran before because I didn't get to see him even healthy in training camp like he was hurt before he got to camp but um I guess you know that is I honestly kind of didn't even think about it I think all of us didn't even think about it they could be adding Gallo back next year um but also Gallo is a useful salary trade chip for them if they want to bring in somebody that they think will be healthy so there's a lot of talk last playoffs about how the Celtics needed a true point guard then Boston made the finals that conversation kind of went away. But if Tatum and Brown are going to be together long term, do you think that finding a point guard should be a priority? Or are there other skill sets that you think are more important to add around the Jays? I think I think shooting I mean it depends on what you think of Marcus Smart as a point guard. Because Marcus Smart played a lot more on ball last year under Udoka. And everyone was like, wow, they actually have a really good point guard and smart. He was one of the most efficient pick and roll playmakers in the league for years. And it kind of scaled pretty well, especially with the lob game to Rob Williams. And then mm-hmm. this year's offense didn't really have as much structure to it. And smart didn't have the ball in his hands a lot of the time late in games. And so I think that Missoula needs to figure out if they can kind of reshape the system to entrust smart to be the playmaker more. And do they trust him to not, you know, throw alley-oops in the three-point line that go over the backboard, you know, stuff like that. So that's a big part of it. 
But I think Tatum is a good enough playmaker that you don't have to have a prioritized playmaker next to him. I think you can have him be your main offensive creator late in games. I do think they need to figure out more ways that they can start the ball in Marcus Smart's hands and then get it to Jason Tatum with an advantage. And that was the thing that they weren't really doing. So I would prioritize shooting, rebounding, defensive versatility, continue to do the to go down the path that they're going down. Yeah, I think that makes sense too. And And these guys are not like all in their 30s, which I think that it feels like that because there is a lot of continuity in Boston. It's like, all right, we've seen this enough times, like enough already. But these guys are still young and like are still developing and are still getting better. And I think that we as an NBA community like to rush things. But I think like this, they've made it far in the playoffs like two years in a row. I know this was disappointing to lose to the Heat in the way they did. But man, like sometimes you have to take your lumps with groups and before you actually get there. And so I kind of believe in like just run it back, add a few pieces around the fringe and and just try it again. Because I, I just think that making sweeping changes, I think, could be a mistake. And, you know, a big thing is everyone's always like, we'll give it one more year, that kind of thing. Yeah. Get to the end of that year. See how you feel. I think coming out of this year, I'm not thinking like, oh, time to give up on this team. I saw right. And like you, got, you just you got to remember the coaching situation was insane. Like they got a yes. new coach who wasn't even a front of bench coach, right? Like right <laughs> at the beginning, like right before, literally the day we walked in the media day, they're all like, "I guess Joe's the coach now." I still don't know where Ime <laughs> is, and they loved Ime. So like uh. it was the problem wasn't even it had nothing to do with Joe. They're like Ime's like the yeah. best coach ever. We love it. We're having an amazing time, and all of a sudden he's gone, and they won't even tell us why. We're like just kind of reading reports about why, and we're getting our own sourcing. It's like they were they were pissed the fuck off, and so yeah. they 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 rallied. And I think a big thing is, you know, there were a lot of issues with Joe Mazzula, a lot of good things with Joe Mazzula, too. I think we always harp on the negative with him. A lot of good stuff. He tried a lot of stuff. I think a lot of it worked. And the like the guys, the guys really love him and he really holds people accountable. Um, he's like he's crazy behind closed doors. He, I mean, he shows a different kind of crazy in front of us in the media, but like he's <laughs> he can be pretty crazy and intense, but also really loving and intense, positive uh, as well. And so I think that they really believe in him. And what was really important is, you know, Jake King and I did that big story on The Athletic. Every yep. player that I talked to, every coaching staff member that I talked to, they all said the same stuff basically to me off the record that they did on the record in front of the cameras. Like all the stuff about we believe in Joe, he's trying. Maybe they were a little bit more comfortable kind of criticizing, but like the, the tenor and the point was still pretty much consistent across the board. And so that's what made me feel that, you know, Missoula with the right situation is going to do a lot better. Go follow Jared on Twitter at Jared Weiss MBA. Go read him uh, on The Athletic. You can also listen to him on The Daily Ding. We're going to do it. We do it live right after the oh, game live, the baby. NBA Finals. And so Jared will be there as well. Jared, thanks for coming on the show. I love you guys. <laughs> we love you too. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Al, it's time to bring in guest number two. It's my guy, Tim Cato. He covers the Dallas Mavericks for the Athletic. Tim, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you guys? Wonderful. Not too bad. A, l- a little better than the Mavericks are right now. The Mavericks' late season tank was a success, and they currently sit at number 10 in this year's draft. The Mavericks haven't always been known as a franchise that highly values first-round picks, and you wrote a few weeks ago that of all the teams in the lottery, the Mavericks are the likeliest to trade their pick. If they do trade the pick, how important is it for them to get off long-term money in the deal or are they really more focused on getting the best player back that they can? I mean, it's kind of a combination of both because getting off money gives you more avenues to go trade for players or sign players, even if you're not signing for agents outright. Um, you know, I've kind of looked at Aaron Gordon in Denver as a good example where yeah. Aaron Gordon was available because he had an extension coming up that Orlando was not going to pay him. And Denver had the cap flexibility to go trade for him at a slightly reduced price, but they also, you know, had the young players and the assets available to go trade for him. But they also had the cap space, you know, it's it's all these things come together. I think we think about cap space as being, oh, you can go sign a free agent. And cap space is just a tool that you use at all times. And if you have less, you know, if you have more of your core together under less money, you can go add a player even at an overpriced you know, or theoretically overpriced or at just a larger sum to go get him. Um, So I do think that there is immediate value for the Mavericks being able to move on from someone like Davis Bertans. And if it took, look, they're not going to trade 10 in Bertans just to get rid of Bertans money or anything like that. You know, that is an overreach, but just being smart about offloading some salary and, um, you know, keeping the, you know, what few assets of value that they have um, intact to go get veteran players because they're trying to win now. I think that's the idea. And the idea of just drafting someone at 10 is that, you know, as the moment you draft that player, either he needs to contribute, he needs to join the starting lineup, he needs to be a player who's useful. And that's not often what you get from a number 10 pick in his rookie year. Or you need to use that pick to, to go get a player in that vein because the moment you draft a player and he's not immediately ready rookie year that value goes down until he starts proving something and so that's kind of the situation they're in and it's, it's tricky you know there, there's not a clear path forward um uh, and uh i don't want to say they're stuck but um they've got tricky decisions there's a there's a very tight line they have to walk this summer yeah so would would like a, a trade where they offload bertans but like move back in the draft be like a possibility to like later in the lottery or even like late teens or something like that. Does, is that the kind of idea? I, th- I think so. Uh, I, I don't think, um, I, I think they view the number 10 pick and you know, we're still a month out. We don't know who's going to fall. There's mock draft yeah. saying Taylor Hendricks is going to be available yeah. at 10, which doesn't feel likely to me, but it does. He feels like that, you know, Taylor Hendricks feels like a player who 
immediately fits needs, could probably contribute as a rookie, and then we'll get better from there. And maybe that's worth it, you know? But it does feel like they're use, really looking at the number 10 pick as how can we use this to get veteran win now players? And if I'm them, you know, I would be very interested in a potential trade down to bring back, um, you know, a, a, a number 15, a number 21. But, you know, I think it just depends on what's there. And, uh, you know, the, the trade landscape is complicated. So when you're thinking about potential trade targets, for the number 10, what type of players or skill sets do you think the Mavs are looking for? Big wings and, uh, you know, centers who are defensive minded, who rebound, who protect the rim. Um, And, you know, everybody wants a big wing, you know, like that's, that's the number one, you know, uh, you know, maybe the most valuable in terms of like, there's a scarcity of such role players. Um, you know, who kind of are these two-way, uh, you know, the, the the anchors of a modern defense in a lot of ways. It's 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 really become, you know, the switchable 6'8", 6'9", wing um, as much as it is a, any sort of big man or rim protector. And, you know, the best version of, of that player that Dallas had, they traded, you know, and Dorian Finney-Smith to go get Kyrie Irving, you know, who they want to resign, who they expect to resign, but Kyrie is Kyrie. We'll see what happens. But... You know, those that's that's what they need. That's that's very clearly what they need. They need defenders and uh specifically they need tall defenders and you know what position they play. Um, you know, they, they can uh you know, beggars can't be choosers, but they need tall defenders of of some type. You wrote an article about some fake trades, either involving the ten pick or just trading existing guys in the roster. Were there any of those deals that you especially liked when you came I up think- and you were like, oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got roasted for the first one. And, you know, it's funny, I kind of think of these as like frameworks. um, And it's like, okay, so the Mavericks need, you know, a tall wing, and they need a a center. And I'm I'm looking around the league. And I'm like, are there any teams that even sort of have two expendable players who kind of fit that archetype? And I suggested uh, Otto Porter Jr. and Chris Boucher uh, from Toronto. And the problem is both of them are just not good enough to really fit, you know, like Otto has injury uh, concerns and Boucher, Boucher just might not be that good. You know, he's 30 mm-hmm. now, came into right. the league at 25. He's, wow. you know, I he's, can't believe he's 30. Right. Yeah, that is wild. I would have not Yeah, that shocked that. me too. And, but the idea was like, how many teams are even out there that have two players, you know, are in a situation where they might be willing to try to get draft picks and move up in the draft? Yeah. Um, if Toronto tears down, that might be something they're interested in. Obviously, that would be something they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do they have expendable veterans, you know, that are, you know, not stars that would take more than what Dallas is willing to offer? Um, and like, and, and that's kind of the problem. Like, you can say, you can look at that deal, rightly so. And I, I wrote, you know, like, the problem is these players probably just aren't good enough. Dallas wouldn't do this deal. But you look around the league, there's not a lot of teams. There's not a lot of combinations like that. That makes sense both for, you know, the Mavericks to be trading with them, for the team to be interested in trading up for a pick, to have these expendable players. Um, I I think the one that made the most sense is uh, Clint Capella for Tim Hardaway Jr. And I I, uh, I was going to say, I I like that one as well. Because you mentioned like the big wings versus the defensive center. And it feels like you could get more value if you did trade for the defensive center just because everyone wants mm -hmm. a big wing. Right. And, you know, Capello makes, I think, about $40 million over two years. And so, mm-hmm. you know, 
I, you know, it's not the best value for a player who, you know, he's going to give you 25, 30 minutes. You know, I, I, I am team unless it's an elite player on at least elite center on one end or the other, or especially both. You know, you don't want to commit big money to them. But Clint Capella is the type of player they need. And, you know, a shooting for, uh, you know, defense swap and bringing size. And, you know, we know where Clint Capella played best. It was in Houston with James Harden, you know, the the, the player that Luca gets compared to the most often. Um, even if it took a, a pick swap in, in there as well, which is just, you know, number 10 going to Atlanta, you know, number 15 uh, yeah. going to the going to Dallas. And that's that's Atlanta's pick. You know, I, I think that's worth it. But, you know, the, these these are these are kind of the questions, um, you know, that that Dallas has this this summer. And I, I could imagine a situation where both teams are kind of like aware of this trade and they're like, we might do it. You know, Dallas is like, we might do it. Atlanta's like, well, we might do it. <laughs> and it's it's just sitting on a whiteboard somewhere. And both of them are just like, please, we want to get something better than this. <laughs> right, and maybe yeah. and maybe if you get to draft night. And Atlanta's like, okay, fine. We like we like that player at ten. You know, there's a player at ten. We like. Let's do the deal. Um, yeah, it's almost too reasonable on right. both sides. Right. I d- I so. did like the trade, not necessarily because of who's involved, but just your title for it. Trade seven. Add some pelicans. Doesn't really. It <laughs> ma- makes it sound like doesn't really matter who it is. Let's just get some pelicans in here. See what happens. I mean, <laughs> they do have a lot of guys. And and you know, pelicans are known for their wingspan. That's true. Great point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, uh, you know, they need some size and they need some uh, physicality. Uh, Pelicans are pretty aggressive, you know, physicality, aggression. I think it goes in and in, you know, like, why not? Why not? Uh, So if the Mavs do decide, hey, we're just going to stay at 10, we're going to draft somebody. Do Mavs fans have a prospect that they are hoping will fall to them? Is like Taylor Hendricks the dream scenario here? Yeah, it's funny. Um I'm not the first one to say this, but I like pretty much all of the first nine prospects for the Mavericks. And, you know, what I'm obviously saying is I like the players that are slotted to go six through five through ten, five through nine, five, you know, six through nine. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I was at the combine a couple of weeks ago. I asked around Wimbenyama. Uh, the expectation is that Wimbenyama is not going to fall to 10. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens on draft night. We never know. You're reporting but that's that? the expectation. So, okay. yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a report. Sources, sources say. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, you know, it's really the trio of Anthony Black, um, of, uh, of Taylor Hendricks, um, and, uh, oh, who's the third I'm just blanking on because, uh, Jairus Walker, Jairus Walker, 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 all three of those players fit immediate needs for the Mavericks. Um, they have varying levels of ready now and they have various, uh, levels of, of where their ceilings are at. I like all three of those players they've most consistently been mocked in that six to nine range. And mm -hmm. if all of them are off the board, um, and even, you know, I think they'd have to consider, you know, also Thompson as well. Someone I don't love, especially is like immediate readiness on the defensive end. Yes. Offensively. I'm not so sure, but you'd have to consider that. But if all those players are gone and you're starting to get into the developmental wings, you know, people like Leonard Miller, or if it's a bunch of guards, like I, I'd, I'd consider uh, Kobe Bufkin because he feels like the one out Bufkin of all those boys. combo guards. Out of Bufkin all those guards, boys. he's kind of like can play a three and D role um, more than yeah. the other guys who are like their value is on the ball. 
the Mavericks don't yeah. have on ball minutes and touches to to hand around if what happens this summer happens, which, you know, what they mm-hmm. expect to happen this summer happens, which is re-signing Kyrie and, uh, you know, Jaden Hardy is, you know, more or less broke into the rotation the second half of the year. And he's expected to, you know, be an every game player. That's the hope. And so they don't have a lot of on-ball touches. So if they if they were to draft a guard, you know, it would need to be someone like Bufkins who is, you know, more able to be a secondary creator and a good defender, um, even if he's not, you know, the big wing type. But mm-hmm. I think the I think the point of this is like there's not a you know, they they if they're if they're the ninth if they have the ninth pick, if they have the eighth pick, you really have to think more like, oh, one of these guys is gonna be available. They have to consider that. And mm-hmm. now it's just a tricky thing of waiting until the draft and seeing if somebody falls. And maybe they trade it anyway, but if somebody falls, at least that gives them, you know, hopefully more value in the mass perspective that somebody's gonna be wanting to move up and trade with them. Yeah. You you reported that Dallas isn't likely to be interested in Grady Dick. What is wrong with Grady Dick? His name's too funny. <laughs> Simple as that. You know, they're they're out on funny names. Uh, they they just want to draft people like you're just like John Smith. Um, they're they're I, I really think... glad when Adam Bona got out of the uh, the draft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think. I think the better way to say this, and I, I probably should have worded it uh, more specifically on, on my part. My understanding is the Mavericks, this front office, you know, been in charge for a couple of years after uh, some stuff that happened a couple of summers ago. Um, I think that they really value physical physicality and athleticism and defense and are not as enamored with, you know, specialist players. And Gritty Dick actually had a really good combine. A lot of his athletic yeah. measures are higher than expected. And, you know, there's actually been, you know, some reporting even today around uh, some some Dallas uh, people saying that Grady Dick is working out with the Mavericks. You know, if he passes athleticism standards, then, yeah, maybe maybe he is an option. But I just think, you know, what the way it was described to me is that Grady Dick kind of falls into a type of player that used to be a, a you know, a prospect that Dallas would really consider under their old front office. And I think this new front office has different priorities. And unless Grady Dick, you know, comes out and just really uh, disproves some of the, you know, notions about, you know, what he can be as a defender, as a shot creator, and as, as you know, just as an athlete, uh, I don't think that he's likely to be considered there. So uh, we haven't talked about Kyrie that much yet. Uh, Mark Cuban has said that keeping Kyrie is a priority. Jason Kidd said he's confident Kyrie will turn, return to Dallas. That all sounds great, Tim, but it's hard to forget how the Mavs also seemed very confident publicly when it came to Jalen Brunson. How concerned do you think the Mavs should be about losing Kyrie in free agency? So they were confident about Jalen Brunson, especially outwardly. But ultimately, as best I understand it, and Mark Cuban might disagree with this, but I'm telling you, this is as I understand it. Uh, it came down to money. They didn't pay him. A, they didn't pay him as much. And for everything there is about Kyrie, and he's a very complicated figure in a lot of ways what ultimately led to what happened in brooklyn it was brooklyn not offering him the max extension you know there's a lot that came out and you know he didn't like the way that the you know the organization handled you know his suspension etc they didn't offer them an extension I, I think it was as simple as that you know i think that if if you really had to say there's one reason that Kyrie is not currently in brooklyn it was money and as complicated as, as, as we make him in it and as true as that is and, you know, complicated is probably uh, a nice word even for uh, 
to to describe it uh, kind of a catch-all. But um, I, I think if the Mavericks come out and offer him the most money and it doesn't seem like there's a, you know, just a bunch of suitors lining up for him this summer, then he's probably a Maverick. And so as, as much as we're like, you know, it's Kyrie, Kyrie is Kyrie, who knows what's going to happen. They trade it for him. They have the ability to offer him the most money. If they do that, I expect him back. Wow. So, so, so you feel like if he's coming back, it's going to be on a full max. Yeah. I mean, I think the Mavericks would much prefer to do like, like even a three-year deal, you know, like a three-year max, um, you know, and if I'm them, I, I totally get that. Now you have to navigate that very carefully for all the reasons above, you know, right. Brooklyn, I want to say Brooklyn was willing to do like a two-year extension, but they weren't willing to do a four, you know, like you have to present it the right way and maybe you can get a little bit less than full max or a little bit less than, than four years. But yeah, I, I think that is probably the likeliest outcome of this is that they just offer him more money than other people, which they can do. And uh, he comes back. Okay. So you touched on Jaden Hardy a little bit. I wanted to just ask you about Hardy and, and Josh Green. Those are kind of the the two young pieces that still have some growth ahead of them that showed flashes and in, in spurts during this past season. What are expectations for those two as far as like being rotation players? And then like what is like their ceiling thought of as? Yeah, Josh Green is kind of like a smaller Andre Iguodala. Um, mm-hmm. I think at his, you know, that's his that's his ceiling. That's that's what you want him to turn into. Um, really good passer, but doesn't always get in the situations to use those passing skills. Did a better job of it last season. Um, got more consistent actually being able to get to the rim, um, which is a big part of being able to using your passing skills, you know. You can be the best passer in the world, but if you can't beat your man, you know, there's never going to be openings to make passes from. Um, is a developing jump shooter, uh, you know, shot really well percentage wise, but, you know, still doesn't take a high volume of shots. Uh, he was a rotation player last year, and I think the expectation is for him to very possibly be a starter next year. Um, that's the hope, at least. And, you know, he's 22. Maybe maybe it's turned 23 since the, the season in, but he's he's young and, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's well liked in Dallas. And I think for you know, if, if it came to it, you know, he is someone they could trade, but they're not trying to trade him. You know, it's it's just if that's what it comes to, if, if the rebuilding calls for it, you know, he is, you know, just one of the few players that they have that actually has value. And same goes for Jaden Hardy, um, you know, was not a every game rotation player last year, didn't play the first half of the season. But, you know, he's a second round rookie that wasn't expected. It wasn't expected for him to break into the rotation the second half of the year either. Yeah. And uh, he did. And he was really impressive. What really stood out to me uh, wasn't just that he's, you know, one of these go get a bucket scoring guards, which he is, but he shot really well behind the arc and on a lot of different type of attempts, uh, you know, hit like 45 percent just on spot up shots, which is, you know, we see all these quick combo guards and there's jump shot questions. You know, it feels like, right. you know, how many of these players have we seen? And a lot of them succeed anyway. You know, Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel quickly. This is very possibly, you know, a three-point shooter who also has all those traits. And, you know, if he can join the rotation, if uh, if Tim Hardaway Jr. is traded, um, you know, there's clearly minutes for a volume three-point shooter on this team next season. And Tim Hardaway Jr., you know, wasn't very important to the team last season for those reasons. Uh, so I think that's the hope for him is that, uh, 
you know, he can be some sort of off the bench, sixth man, seventh man, you know, scoring punch, but, but really somebody who takes a lot of threes and, uh, you know, which are always going to be available because I think Luca is pretty much the best three point shot creator in the league. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Tim, uh, thank you for answering all of our Mavericks questions. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head to head against an NBA beat writer. This week, of course, Tim Cato, Mavericks beat writer for The Athletic. And in honor of the Mavs having a lottery pick, all of these trivia questions this week are about Mavs rookies of years past. Mavs oh, rookies. My. Which... Actually, it was very hard to do. There's just not a lot <laughs> to pull from. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I came up with eight questions. Uh, some are easy, some are hard. You're going to pick one of these questions. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. And we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So, Tim, to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Number three. Question number three. Which former Dallas Mavericks draft pick tore his ACL in high school and when the doctors performed surgery, they found that he had a second ACL. Oh, man. There's a player that was a Maverick who I thought, I, I know who, I will know who this is. The player I'm thinking of, I don't think it was a draft pick of theirs. Um, so I was thinking, Dewan Blair was something different. He wasn't a Mavericks draft pick. He he just didn't have ACLs. <laughs> yeah, he had um, no ACLs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so that's yeah. that's the first place um, my brain went. Oh man, I know this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hate myself for not getting it. Um, let me uh, let me guess. Um, oh man, I know this. I should know this. Um, was it Josh Howard? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. We say we say the question one more time. Uh, yes, this is a former Dallas Mavericks draft pick. He tore his ACL in high school, and when the doctors performed surgery, they found that he had a second ACL. <laughs> I had never heard this story before, and I don't know how I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know this. This is so frustrating to me because I know I know it. I I, I will know it the second you say it. Dennis Smith. I just don't know the answer to this. Andrew, that is correct. Is that right? Smith yeah. Jr. Honestly, Andrew, when you said it, I was like, oh, man, of course. Yeah, that's what it was. And that's, oh, my God. I was trying to think of, like, somebody athletic because it was, right. I don't know. Well, that was apparently the story. I don't even know like, why. Everybody has ACLs. I have them. I'm not athletic. I don't know. He tore it, and he, like, didn't have any well, swelling you have a second or one. pain. 
Sorry. <laughs> that is uh, wild. I know. It's very yeah. cool. Uh, Andrew, the board is yours. Number one. Question number one. In the last 15 years, four Mavs rookies scored at least 30 points in a game during their rookie season. Now, Luca is the obvious one. He scored 30 points mm-hmm. once upon a time as a rookie. Can you name the other three? One point per correct answer. So these are Mavs rookies who during their rookie season had a 30-point game. Oh, my gosh. There's three more. Luca is one. What about Roderick Bobois? That is correct, Andrew. He had a 40-point game. game against the Warriors. Yes. Hit nine threes. Never let it be forgotten. Thunder uh, fans were kicking ourselves because we traded him away to take B.J. <laughs> Byron Mullins. It's true. After his rookie season, Mark Cuban came out and said he's untradeable. Yeah, yes. I remember that. <laughs> Real. <laughs> um, what about Devin Harris? Andrew, that is incorrect. Now, Tim, you have a chance to steal two points here. If you can name some Mavs rookies who had a 30-point game <sighs> during their rookie season. Mavs rookies, 30-point games. This is over the last how many 15 years? 15 years. 15 years. So that goes back to 2008, 2007-ish. Yeah. yeah. So Devin oh, Harris, he was... Way too far. Yeah, yeah. Way, went, too far. way too far. He was like, oh, five? Yeah. Something like that. Well, past 15 years, 30... Oh, man. Um... I was just going to say Jaden Hardy. I think he topped out at 29. Mm-hmm. At 29. Very close. <laughs> well, let me say Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith Jr.? Did he not that is incorrect. Never Whoa. had a 30-point game. The other two names. I'm so interested. Who is it? Now, first of all, I didn't say draft picks. I just said rookies, and that is key. Oh. Uh, one is Jalen Brunson. That's the more obvious one. He did have a 30-point yeah. game. Oh, okay. Quiet rookie yeah. year. I would have actually guessed he never hit thirty his rookie year. You know that went through my head, but he was like he was good. The, but the other one was not drafted by the Mavs, but did play during his rookie season in Dallas, and that is Yogi Ferrell. Yogi Ferrell. <laughs> that name also went through my head, and I, I just <laughs> damn. I would have not have man there. Man, man, I have t- such I'm telling you, Mavs this. I have the knowledge in my head, difficult. and Andrew's just <laughs> cooking me. <laughs> oh uh, man don't fear tim you have control of the board you're only down by two <sighs> give me five question number five dirk averaged 8.2 points per game his rookie season what was dirk's season high during his rookie season now before you answer you get to choose who answers first so you can make andrew answer first and then you can go higher or lower or you can guess and andrew can go higher or lower so this is Dirk's season high as a rookie in points. Uh, between our two answers, we're trying to get closer. Uh, well, yeah. Like if Andrew answers, you can just say higher or lower, and you're just trying to get as close to the uh, correct answer. If you get it exact, you do get a bonus point. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have a pretty good idea what it is. So Andrew, go ahead. I don't think you're going to hit it on the nose. 26. 26. 26. I'm going to go higher. Andrew's guess. Tim goes higher. Correct answer. 29. Two ah. points for Tim. And that game is tied. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, Andrew. Game is tied. Board is yours. Number two. Question number two. Okay. Who were the last two Mavericks rookies to score double-digit points in a playoff game during their rookie season? And you get one point per correct answer. So, again... 
These were the last two Mavericks rookies to score double-digit points in a playoff game during their rookie season. Holy smokes. You do get one point per correct answer, which is... Then they weren't necessarily drafted. Gosh. The playoffs. The playoffs, Andrew. The Mavs in the playoffs. They went to the playoffs past three don't years. Help, don't help him. Then you got to go. Then you got to go back to 2016. Yeah. I do not know. I do not know the answer to this question. <laughs> Can you throw out I know a just, name? You could just, I mean, hey, we all know all the Mavs rookies, you know? There's been so the, many. Jake Crowder. I mean, names. I just don't know. I just don't know. All right, Andrew. Well, uh, that guess was incorrect. Tim, you have okay. a chance to steal two points. I'm pretty sure Justin Anderson did. Tim, that is absolutely correct for one <gasps> point. Okay. Justin okay. Anderson. There's one more. There's Can you one get the more. One? Rookie. So when Josh Green did not play his rookie year. Um, Jalen Brunson did not make the playoffs his rookie year. Um. Jay Crowder was going to be my other guess, actually. And so let's say, well, just go back. Let's go back to the well. Was it Roddy B? Roddy Bobois? Because I know he scored like 26 against the Spurs his rookie year in the playoffs. The correct answer is Salah Mejri. Man, <laughs> briefly thought about him too. And Gross. That. Yeah, 12 yeah. points. In a game. Yeah. Uh, good yeah. news, Tim. Wow. You are now ahead by one, and you have control of the board. Give me uh, eight. Question number eight. Jason Kidd was drafted by the Mavs in 1994 with the second pick. Kidd leads the entire 94 draft class in total career points, career rebounds, and career assists. Since the 1994 draft, only two other players can say that they led their draft class in total career points, rebounds, and assists. Now, LeBron is the obvious one. Who is the other? So it leads their entire draft class since being drafted in In the... In points, rebounds, and assists. I'm going to go with... Jason uh, Kidd, LeBron, and... Is it Kevin Durant? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. I didn't feel amazing about that one, but... Very distracted because the the news this, we're recording this on Friday morning that the uh, the Suns are hiring Frank Vogel as their next head coach. No, oh, really? Yeah. Oh man, just just popped up on my phone. Bill Simmons was some, be miserable. Uh, he was so confident. Was buzz <laughs> that he was going to be if he didn't get a head coaching job, he was going to be a Mavs assistant. Yeah, and that mm. was. I think I think it was an expectation, but it was like go do all your head coaching interviews and come back. Yeah. So yeah, no one's apparently, gonna hire apparently you, he's not so coming back. back. He went out for cigarettes and uh you know <laughs> that's it. That's the last you're gonna see of him. Wow. Wow. Okay, remind me what the question is. <laughs> uh it, it's it's a guy who led guy. who leads his draft class in total mm-hmm. career points, rebounds, and assists. Jason Kidd is one, LeBron is the other, mm-hmm. and then there's a third guy who did it since nineteen ninety four. Oh gosh. Is it Westbrook? So, Tim, you got the first name correct. It is a Kevin. It is Kevin Garnett. KG leads his draft wow. class in points, rebounds, and assists. That's cool. 
Yeah. Interesting. Cool huh. little stat. Uh, okay, Andrew, you have control of the board. You're down by one. Four. Question number four. How many former Mavericks draft picks played minutes in this year's playoffs? And as a clarification, these were players who were drafted by the Mavs and played for Dallas as rookies. So I'm not talking about any draft day trades. Trey Young is not included. Uh, so these are okay. former Mavericks draft picks who played minutes in this year's playoffs. You don't have to tell me who they are. You just have to give me a number. Um, I'm counting, and I just realized that I shouldn't be counting on screen. So I'm now <laughs> counting under my Zoom screen. I'm just giving... That's very smart. Very smart. Yeah, yeah. You know, a little, little strategy tip for uh, anybody who ever has to uh, play uh, Andrew vs. the Beat. Three? Andrew, that is incorrect. Tim, you have a chance to steal. Or one point. I think I think it's just two. Tim, that is correct. Jalen Brunson and Jay Crowder. Yep. Tim gets one point. Tim, you're now up two points with only two questions remaining. You have a chance to close this out. Give me lucky seven. Which of the following nicknames is not an official basketball reference nickname for Dirk Nowitzki. Okay, so I'm going to give you five Dirk nicknames. Four of them appear on basketball reference. One does not. They are the seven-foot schnitzel, German Jesus, German race car, tall baller from the G, and dirty. Once again, that is the seven-foot schnitzel. German race car. I've never heard that in my whole life. Tim, that is incorrect. That does appear wow. on Basketball Reference. German race car. I've, German I have a chapter car. in a Mavs book I wrote that is like ranking every Dirk nickname. Really? Never heard that one. <laughs> Never heard that one. German race car. Maybe it's a new one. Maybe it's a new one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Post-retirement you know, nickname. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, 41-year-olds who haven't played basketball in three years often are just you know, getting nicknamed all the time. New yes, ones yes. are just popping up everywhere. It's 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 an epidemic, truly. <laughs> uh, Andrew, this is this is big for you. You have a chance to steal, get a point within one of Tim. The other four names, one of these is fake. Well, not fake, but it doesn't appear on Basketball Reference. The seven foot schnitzel, German Jesus, tall baller from the G, and dirty. Tall baller from the G. Andrew, that is also incorrect. The unofficial basketball reference nickname there is the seven foot schnitzel. Man, I almost chose that. That just oh. that one. That one uh, was one of the ones. I'm surprised. So German Jesus also shows up on basketball reference. Yeah, he he really I has the weirdest collection. He, of yeah, <laughs> no tall baller so from the weird. G. I think is the one I rated number one in <laughs> my it? little hundred things Mavericks right. fans should know and do before they die. Got a copy oh, right there. Yeah. I can pull it open, but I think that is my number one rated nickname <laughs> wow. in print form. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But maybe it's probably because you didn't know about German race car. <laughs> if you had heard that, you would have said, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's the you best. You know, just an, an objectively superior nickname. <laughs> Clearly. By, by, Clearly. Yeah, Todd Baller from the G. Like, who came up with that? <laughs> uh, okay, this brings us to our final Poverty. question. Now, uh, if Andrew gets this because it is his question the game will be tied we will have to go to sudden death Uh-oh. so here's the question in the last a two point time, question uh it is a two point question oh yeah they're all okay. two point questions most of them uh in the last 20 years so this is going back to the 0304 season there have been 10 rookies 
to average at least 20 points per game. Luka Doncic is one of them. We're going to name the other nine. So Andrew will give me a name, then Tim will give me a name. We'll go back and forth oh my until gosh. one of you stumbles. And Andrew, if you stumble, the game is over. Now, again, these are rookies since the 03-04 season who averaged 20 points per game in their rookie season. LeBron? Very good guess. LeBron Carmelo. James is correct. Carmelo, very good guess. Okay, we got that draft class out of the way. Back to Andrew. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Al. There's got to be like some very obvious ones. It's uh, pretty pretty hard to do as a rookie. 20 points per game, very impressive. 20 points is a lot. 20 points is a lot for a rookie. Um Paolo? Did Paolo do it? 20.0 points, Andrew. Oh! You are correct. Back to Tim. <sighs> okay, so this scares me because it feels like Durant's an obvious one, but me, how would Andrew... Andrew, it feels like you should have said that. Like, how hmm. was that not first now, in mind? He but was I, in I, Seattle, his rookie season, you know? Yeah, he had to... He was... He was no, he was definitely over 20. There's no that way. Is, if he was... That, that, is, co- yeah. that is correct. Okay. Okay. KD is, yeah. is correct. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, Andrew, back to you. Five <laughs> names remaining. <laughs> I just... I, like, it... That was the name in my head, and it just shocked me that, you know, Oklahoma <laughs> yeah. City, Mr. Oklahoma City over here. My brain just doesn't always work very well during <laughs> during these competitions, so. Well, I have the same problem, but it's uh, just in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, goodness. So this is since 03, 04. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 20 point rookies. Dude. Oh, every answer is so dangerous, Andrew. One missed. I know. The Palo one scared over. me because like I was pretty sure that he did it. Um yeah, that's scary. Um what about uh, it's so dicey. What about um Did Kyrie Irving do it? Do it? <laughs> Did Kyrie, did, do it? did Kyrie Irving do it? Uh, Andrew? He did not! Oh. Which means oh, wow. Tim Cato wins the week. Wait, can I guess one more? That's a fun Absolutely. one. Absolutely. I think, Absolutely. I, I, think <sighs> I got the fun one if 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 my brain remembers the trivia right. Uh, Tyreek okay. Evans. That is correct. Yeah, yeah uh, he, he has that 25-5 and did, five rookie season. Yeah, and, yeah he did. What yeah, about I was so excited to say that one. 18.5, Andrew. 18.5. I knew he would have been up. There. Uh, the other names, the two guys who missed the rookie season and then came back older, Joel Blake. Embiid, Blake Griffin. Yeah. And then Donovan Mitchell and Zion. Donovan Mitchell and Zion. Yeah. I thought about, I thought Zion, about Zion real quick, too. I was going to guess Kyrie oh. at some point, though. So, a great win for Tim. Wow. Congratulations. Final Decisive. score. Decisive, you might say. Two. A route. Big, big win. Ra- wow. Tim's calling it a route. <laughs> I mean, historians uh, will look back and uh, they, they'll see the truth that it was. It's painful. Uh, go read Tim on The Athletic. Go listen to his podcast called 77 Minutes in Heaven. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of that. Tim, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thanks again to Jared and Tim for joining the podcast. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the show. So please do that this week. Hope you guys enjoy the NBA Finals, and we will talk to you guys again next week.